Part Ten of Orinoco. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Orinoco, or the Royal Slave, by Aphra Ben. Part Ten. Trefry then thought it time to use his authority, and told Byam his command did not extend to his lord's plantation, and that Parham was as much exempt from the law as Whitehall and that they ought no more to touch the servants of the lord, who there represented the king's person, than they could those about the king himself, and that Parham was a sanctuary, and though his lord were absent in person, his power was still in being there, which he had entrusted with him, as far as the dominions of his particular plantations reached, and all that belonged to it. The rest of the country, as Byam was lieutenant to his lord, he might exercise his tyranny upon. Trefry had others as powerful, or more, that interested themselves in Caesar's life, and absolutely said he should be defended. So turning the governor, and his wise counsel, out of doors, for they sat at Parham House, we set a guard upon our lodging-place, and would admit none but those we called friends to us and Caesar. The governor having remained wounded at Parham till his recovery was completed, Caesar did not know but he was still there and indeed, for the most part, his time was spent there, for he was one that loved to live at other people's expense, and if he were a day absent, he was ten present there, and used to play and walk and hunt and fish with Caesar, so that Caesar did not at all doubt, if he once recovered strength, but he should find an opportunity of being revenged on him, though after such a revenge he could not hope to live, for if he escaped the fury of the English mobile, who would perhaps have been glad of the occasion to have killed him, he was resolved not to survive his whipping. Yet he had some tender hours, a repenting softness, which he called his fits of cowardice, wherein he struggled with love for the victory of his heart, which took part with his charming amoinder there. But for the most part, his time was passed in melancholy thoughts and black designs. He considered if he should do this deed, and die either in the attempt or after it, he left his lovely Amoinder a prey, or at best a slave to the enraged multitude. His great heart could not endure that thought. Perhaps, said he, she may be first ravaged by every brute, exposed first to their nasty lusts, and then a shameful death. No, he could not live a moment under that apprehension, too insupportable to be borne. These were his thoughts, and his silent arguments with his heart, as he told us afterwards, so that now resolving not only to kill Byam, but all those he thought had enraged him, pleasing his great heart with the fancied slaughter he should make over the whole face of the plantation, he first resolved on a deed that, however horrid it first appeared to us all, when we had heard his reasons, we thought it brave and just. Being able to walk, and, as he believed, fit for the execution of his great design, he begged Trefry to trust him into the air, believing a walk would do him good, which was granted him, and taking a moinder with him as he used to do in his more happy and calmer days, he led her up into a wood, where, after a thousand sighs, and long gazing silently on her face while tears gushed in spite of him from his eyes, he told her his design, first of killing her, and then his enemies, and next himself, and the impossibility of escaping and therefore he told her the necessity of dying. He found the heroic wife faster pleading for death than he was to propose it, when she found his fixed resolution, and on her knees besought him not to leave her a prey to his enemies. He, grieved to death yet pleased at her noble resolution, took her up, and embracing of her with all the passion and languishment of a dying lover, 
drew his knife to kill this treasure of his soul, this pleasure of his eyes, while tears trickled down his cheeks, hers were smiling with joy she should die by so noble a hand, and be sent into her own country, for that's their notion of the next world, by him she so tenderly loved, and so truly adored in this. For wives have a respect for their husbands equal to what any other people pay a deity, and when a man finds any occasion to quit his wife, if he love her, she dies by his hand, if not, he sells her, or suffers some other to kill her. If being thus, you may believe the deed was soon resolved on, and is not to be doubted but the parting, the eternal leave-taking of two such lovers, so greatly born, so sensible, so beautiful, so young, and so fond, must be very moving, as the relation of it was to be afterwards. All that love could say in such cases being ended, and all the intermitting irresolutions being adjusted, the young, lovely, and adored victim lays herself down before the sacrificer, while he, with a hand resolved, and a heart breaking within, gave the fatal stroke, first cutting her throat, and then severing her yet smiling face from that delicate body, pregnant as it was with the fruits of tenderest love. As soon as he had done, he laid the body decently on leaves and flowers, of which he made a bed, and concealed it under the same coverlid of nature. Only her face he left yet bare to look on. But when he found she was dead, and past all retrieve, never more to bless him with her eyes and soft language, his grief swelled up to rage. He tore, he raved, he roared like some monster of the wood, calling on the loved name of Amoinda. A thousand times he turned the fatal knife that did the deed towards his own heart, with a resolution to go immediately after her. But dire revenge, which was now a thousand times more fierce in his soul than before, prevents him, and he would cry out, No! Since I have sacrificed a moinder to my revenge, shall I lose that glory which I have purchased so dear, as the price of the fairest, dearest, softest creature that ever nature made? No! No! Then at her name grief would get the ascendant of rage, and he would lie down by her side, and water her face with showers of tears, which never were wont to fall from those eyes, and however bent he was on his intended slaughter, he had not power to stir from the sight of this dear object, now more beloved and more adored than ever. He remained in this deplorable condition for two days, and never rose from the ground where he had made her sad sacrifice. At last, rousing from her side, and accusing himself of living too long, now Amoinda was dead, and that the deaths of those barbarous enemies were deferred too long, he resolved now to finish the great work. But offering to rise, he found his strength so decayed that he swayed to and fro, like boughs assailed by contrary winds, so that he was forced to lie down again, and try to summon all his courage to his aid. He found his brains turned round, and his eyes were dizzy, and objects appeared not the same to him as they were wont to do. His breath was short, and all his limbs surprised with a faintness he had never felt before. He had not eaten in two days, which was one occasion of his feebleness, but excessive grief was the greatest. Yet still he hoped he should never recover vigour to act his design, and lay expecting it yet six days longer, still mourning over the dead idol of his heart, and striving every day to rise, but could not. In all this time, you may believe we were in no little affliction for Caesar and his wife. Some were of opinion he was escaped never to return, others thought some accident had happened to him, but, however, we failed not to send out a hundred people several ways to search for him. 
A party of about forty went that way he took, among whom was Tuscan, who was perfectly reconciled to Byam. They had not gone very far into the wood, but they smelt an unusual smell, as of a dead body, for stinks must be very noisome that can be distinguished among such a quantity of natural sweets as every inch of that land produces, so that they concluded they should find him dead, or some body that was so. They passed on towards it, as loathsome as it was, had made such rustling among the leaves that lie thick on the ground by continual falling, that Caesar heard he was approached, and though he had, during the space of these eight days, endeavoured to rise, but found he wanted strength, yet looking up and seeing his pursuers, he rose and reeled to a neighbouring tree against which he fixed his back, and being within a dozen yards of those that advanced and saw him, he called out to them, and bid them approach no nearer, if they would be safe so that they stood still, and hardly believing their eyes, that would persuade them it was Caesar that spoke to him, so much was he altered. They asked him what he had done with his wife, for they smelt a stink that almost struck them dead. He, pointing to the dead body, sighing, cried, Behold her there! They put off the flowers that covered her, with their sticks, and found she was killed, and cried out, O oh, monster! that has murdered thy wife! Then, asking him why he did so cruel a deed, he replied he had no leisure to answer impertinent questions. "'You may go back,' continued he, "'and tell the faithless governor he may thank fortune that I am breathing my last, and that my arm is too feeble to obey my heart in what it had designed him.' But his tongue faltering and trembling, he could scarce end what he was saying. The English, taking advantage of his weakness, cried, "'Let us take him alive by all means.' He heard him and as if he had revived from a fainting or a dream, he cried out, "'No, gentlemen, you are deceived. You will find no more Caesars to be whipped, no more find a faith in me. Feeble as you think me, I have strength yet left to secure me from a second indignity.' They swore all anew, and he only shook his head and beheld them with scorn. Then they cried out, "'Who will venture on this single man? Will nobody?' They stood all silent while Caesar replied, "'Fatal will be the attempt of the first adventurer. Let him assure himself.' And at that word held up his knife in a menacing posture. "'Look ye, ye faithless crew,' said he, "'tis not life I seek, nor am I afraid of dying.' And at that word cut a piece of flesh from his own throat, and threw it at him. "'Yet still I would live, if I could, till I had perfected my revenge. But, oh, it cannot be! I feel life gliding from my eyes and heart and if I make not haste, I shall fall a victim to the shameful whip." At that, he ripped up his own belly, and took his bowels, and pulled him out, with what strength he could, while some, on their knees imploring, besought him to hold his hand. But when they saw him tottering, they cried out, "'Will none venture on him?' A bold Englishman cried, "'Yes, if he were the devil,' taking courage when he saw him almost dead, and swearing a horrid oath for his farewell to the world, he rushed on him. Caesar, with his armed hand, met him so fairly as struck him to the heart, and he fell dead at his feet. Tuscan, seeing that, cried out, "'I love thee, O Caesar, and therefore will not let thee die, if possible,' and running to him took him in his arms. But at the same time, warding a blow that Caesar made at his bosom, he received it quite through his arm, and Caesar having not the strength to pluck the knife forth, though he attempted it, Tuscan neither pulled it out himself nor suffered it to be pulled out, but came down with it sticking in his arm and the reason he gave for it was, because the air should not get into the wound. They put their hands across, and carried Caesar between six of them, fainting as he was, and though they thought dead or just dying. And they brought him to Parham, 
and laid him on a couch, and had the surgeon immediately to him, who dressed his wounds and sewed up his belly, and used means to bring him to life, which they effected. We all ran to see him, and if before we thought him so beautiful a sight, he was now so altered that his face was like a death's head blacked over, nothing but teeth and eye-holes. For some days we suffered nobody to speak to him, but caused cordials to be poured down his throat, which sustained his life, and in six or seven days he recovered his senses, for you must know that wounds are almost to a miracle cured in the Indies, unless wounds in the legs, which they rarely ever cure. When he was well enough to speak, we talked to him, and asked him some questions about his wife, and the reasons why he killed her, and then he told us what I have related of that resolution, and of his parting, and he besought us we would let him die, and was extremely afflicted to think it was possible he might live. He assured us if we did not dispatch him he would prove very fatal to a great many. We said all we could to make him live, and gave him new assurances, but he begged we would not think so poorly of him, or of his love to Amoinda, to imagine we could flatter him to life again. But the surgeon assured him he could not live, and therefore he need not fear. We were all, but Caesar, afflicted at this news, and the sight was ghastly. His discourse was sad, and the earthy smell about him was so strong, that I was persuaded to leave the place for some time, being myself very sickly, and very apt to fall into fits of dangerous illness upon any extraordinary melancholy. The servants, and Trefry, and the surgeons, promised all to take what possible care they could of the life of Caesar, and I, taking boat, went with other company to Colonel Martin's, about three days' journey down the river. But I was no sooner gone than the Governor, taking Trefry, about some pretended earnest business, a day's journey up the river, having communicated his design to one Bannister, a wild Irishman, and one of the council, a fellow of absolute barbarity, and fit to execute any villainy but rich, he came up to Parham, and forcibly took Caesar, and had him carried to the same post where he was whipped, and causing him to be tied to it, and great fire made before him, he told him he should die like a dog, as he was. Caesar replied that this was the first piece of bravery that ever Bannister did, and he never spoke sense till he pronounced that word, and if he would keep it, he would declare in the other world that he was the only man of all the whites that he ever heard speak truth. And turning to the men that had bound him, he said, My friends, am I to die, or to be whipped? And they cried, Whipped! No, you shall not escape so well. And then he replied, smiling, A blessing on thee, and assured them they need not tie him, for he would stand fixed like a rock, and endure death so as should encourage them to die. But if you whip me, said he, be sure you tie me fast. He had learned to take tobacco, and when he was assured he should die, he desired they would give him a pipe in his mouth, ready lighted, which they did. And the executioner came, and first cut off his members, and threw them into the fire. After that, with an ill-favoured knife, they cut off his ears and his nose, and burned them. He still smoked on, as if nothing had touched him. Then they hacked off one of his arms, and still he bore up, and held his pipe. But at the cutting off of the other arm, his head sunk, and his pipe dropped and he gave up the ghost, without a groan or a reproach. My mother and sister were by him all the while, but not suffered to save him, so rude and wild were the rabble, and so inhuman were the justices who stood by to see the execution, who after paid dearly enough for their insolence. They cut Caesar in quarters, and sent them to several of the chief plantations. One quarter was sent to Colonel Martin, 
who refused it, and swore he had rather see the quarters of Bannister and the governor himself than those of Caesar on his plantations, and that he could govern his negroes without terrifying and grieving them with frightful spectacles of a mangled king. Thus died this great man, worthy of a better fate, and a more sublime wit than mine to write his praise. Yet I hope the reputation of my pen is considerable enough to make his glorious name to survive all the ages, with that of the brave, the beautiful, and the constant Amoinda. End of Part 10 End of Orinoco by Afraben